1: cut it, cut it, no spoilers, not yet. Hello everyone, welcome to another critique of a a game that people played a while back. I'm Luke Stevens, this is Khaleesi, my co-host, and today we're gonna break down Arkham Knight. For those of you who've watched the channel for a little while, you'll know that the last time I showed off Khaleesi in a critique, she was way smaller than this. She's growing, she's getting bigger. Do you have anything you want to say? No, she doesn't, she's shy. Now, before anybody gets upset or leaves a pedantic comment of some sort, just know there are timestamps below in the description box of this video so you can jump around. I know that the video's long, so I've included those so that you can jump to the parts you find interesting or watch it in parts, whatever. Works for you. Now Arkham Knight is sort of an enigma because it was developed by Rocksteady, who is, of course, the developers of Batman Arkham Asylum and Arkham City, two games that were phenomenally well received when they launched and that won all sorts of Game of the Year awards when they did launch. However, after the launch of Arkham City, Rocksteady told their parent company, Warner Brothers, that they were going to need a lot more time to develop Arkham Knight than they initially expected. And that's why we got Arkham Origins as an intermediary game between Arkham City and Arkham Knight to basically fill the gap so that Warner Brothers wasn't just sitting on the property for four or five years without a release. You okay? You okay? She's exploring. Now, if you want to know more about arkham origins i did a full critique on it i'll have it linked in the description box below go check it out if you're really interested i'm not going to cover it too much point being it was developed by a studio other than rocksteady and rocksteady has always been kind of weird about it they don't like talking about it in the same way that Bethesda's weird about Fallout New Vegas because some people really liked it, but it's also not part of their work, and so it's sort of the black sheep of the family. They're not sure whether they should include it as part of the series, as part of the franchise, or if it should be just a spin-off and nothing more. And for this reason, Rocksteady, even to this day, only refers to Arkham Knight as the completion of the trilogy, not the completion of the Quadrilogy. Furthermore, over the course of this video, we're going to be looking at a lot of the things that Rocksteady changed and adapted over the course of the last four years of development after Arkham City. Arkham Origins didn't do a lot differently. Nor was it trying to. They fully admitted that Arkham City got a lot right and they weren't going to mess with the, the formula. As the saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But all of this to say, Arkham Knight was a fantastic opportunity for Rocksteady, as it was the first game that they had developed that was exclusively for next generation consoles. Something that doesn't seem like a hugely big deal, but for Rocksteady, a company that was always pushing this, this hardware to the absolute limits. That's a big deal, especially when you go back and you play through Arkham City and you realize just how ahead of its time that game really was. It feels better and higher quality, more next generation than a lot of next generation titles that launched, such as Shadow of War, which is something we've been playing over on Twitch, a game that launched in 2017 and feels less impressive technologically speaking than Arkham City, which launched on the 360 and PS3. And I can't stress this enough, the tech inside Arkham Knight is so damn impressive I had trouble quantifying it and putting it into words for the sake of this video script and outline. It's absolutely ridiculous. The game launched on June 23rd of 2015 and to this day looks incredible. Honestly, I think that Arkham Knight might be one of, if not the, best looking games of all time. It's Ridiculous. But going into this analysis, I think it's important that we set the foundation and understand what Rocksteady was trying to do, because we can always evaluate a game on two basic playing fields. On the one hand, we can evaluate it based on what we expected from it, the type of game that we wanted and that we would have liked to see. Or we can evaluate it based on what the artist, or in this case the developers, were trying to accomplish. And usually you want to evaluate something as a mix of the two in order to come to the actual conclusion in terms of quality of the product. And by far the most important thing you need to understand about Arkham Knight going into this video and into the game if you're going to play it, is that the entire experience was crafted around the Batmobile. And this isn't just my opinion, this is actually coming from the developers who made these design choices. Everything was going to be based on the fact that the Batmobile is an extension of Batman and that it's going to extend the range of possibilities in terms of gameplay options, exploration, world size, and the like. I swear, she's just slowly moving down my arm. Do you wanna go back in your cage? You wanna go back? Yeah? Yeah, she does. Okay, I'm gonna put her back. Boom. Now, I'm gonna go into a lot of detail with regards to the Batmobile in a later section of this video. I'm gonna deep dive into it because it's such a major facet of the game and its design. But for the sake of this introductory section, I will just say they put a lot of effort into it and they put a lot of eggs in this basket. And for most players, it didn't pay off. The Batmobile felt as though it was just a tank. It felt out of place in a Batman game, especially a Rocksteady Batman game. It just didn't feel right. And this isn't just something that's been developed over the course of a few years on Reddit and YouTube comments and all of that. This was something that people were saying back when the game's initial E3 trailer launched at E3 of 2014. I know because I went back and I looked at the comment section of that announcement trailer and went back to the comments from 2014. And a lot of people were actually saying, great, Batman is a tank mech game straight out of Japan now, whoop-de-doo. But let me just say this also, this video isn't going to be this sort of group think circle jerk where we all just echo the same opinion about how the bat tank sucks. And while that is true, and while we're gonna address that and discuss it, I wanna deep dive into a lot of the things that the game does very, very well, because a lot of the stuff that Batman Arkham Knight does is far more impressive than any of the previous games in the series, and even far more impressive than a lot of games that are launching today in 2019. So basically, all I'm asking is that you give me the opportunity to explain myself, my positions and opinions, watch the whole video, and then, pick apart my arguments and and dissect why i'm wrong with everything because i'm sure i'm wrong about some stuff and i'm i have no doubts that you guys will let me know what i'm wrong about below all i ask is that you at least hear me out and furthermore to give complete context to this whole situation with batman arkham knight it's important to understand that the game had a very troubled launch not on consoles but on pc the obvious question is how bad was the pc port were these issues real or was it just internet outrage taking over as it usually does well it actually was so bad that warner brothers halted all pc sales of arkham knight full stop they halted sale of the game because it was so broken it was locked at 30 fps even though high-end $3,000 computer systems weren't able to run the game above 15 frames per second, it had basically no customization options in terms of uh, visual fidelity and graphic options, and it also had a lot of visual elements such as rain particle effects going up against the Batmobile and all sorts of things like that, stripped from the console versions so the game actually ran and looked way better on consoles than it did on pc now i actually dug into this and it turns out that the port for the pc was outsourced to a company by the name of iron galaxy and this is actually the same company that handled the switch port of skyrim for bethesda i know a lot of people thought that bethesda did this and i think they did some of it all that iron galaxy said was that they helped with the port but apparently they were. In charge of that and this is also interesting they helped and handled the pc port of arkham origins which is apparently where they set up this relationship with warner brothers initially you know that pc port that i talked about in my critique of the game that was so bad that i had game-breaking bugs and crashes on my pc to the point where i just couldn't play it anymore at all until i like reinstalled everything that one. (laughs) Now, a lot of stuff goes on behind the scenes with regards to technical issues, so I don't want to just pass all sorts of blame off to Iron Galaxy. I I can't even fathom how hard it is to port something that was developed exclusively for consoles all the way over to PC and account for all of the different types of hardware, but it does seem as though there was a pattern with Iron Galaxy not doing a really fantastic job or a stand-up job Of these ports it seems as though this had happened before and warner brothers just figured we'll deal with it when we come to that but the port was so horrible it just simply wasn't quality tested at all and executives over at warner brothers even said as much saying that the quality assurance process the qa process simply didn't happen with regards to the PC port, which makes sense because if you had played it at launch, you would have realized there was no reason that this should have ever, ever happened. If anybody booted up the game, they would have seen that it was unplayable, but that's exactly the point. No one booted it up. But I will say Warner Brothers handled the crisis relatively well. They announced that they were halting sales and they weren't going to sell a broken product. They said that they encouraged anybody who felt as though the game wasn't up to their quality standards, so basically everyone, to go and return the game, even though that would cost Warner Brothers a good chunk of change on every single return. Because if you're not familiar, if you buy a game on Steam, Steam takes a 30% cut of the sale once that happens if you choose to return the game steam does not refund all of that 30 percent back to the player from their own coffers they actually require the developer to pay that difference because steam is like well we did our job we didn't do anything wrong so we're going to keep our cut you have to make up the difference which is why this sort of return demo idea freaks a lot of developers out because it costs them a lot of money. But I gotta hand it to Warner Brothers. They actually handled this whole crisis fairly well, at least as well as you could expect somebody to if they launched a product that they didn't quality test or check at all. Coffee break. Just saying, if you haven't tried the Nitro Culber stuff, they're not sponsoring me. I just would love it if they did. They don't do that though, let's be honest. If they did, I I would lose my nuts. But my point being, the Nitro Cold Brew is very, very good. I am a sucker. And actually, in the state of Colorado, they can't sell a size larger than this because it has, I think it's 370 grams or milligrams, not grams, milligrams of caffeine in it. So it's actually significantly... potent with regards to caffeine so they can't actually sell a larger size legally because it exceeds the legal amount that's sellable within a single cup of coffee which is ridiculous but that, you know it gives me energy for these critiques in case you didn't know like this takes usually six to eight hours to film a video like this so it's it's kind of rigorous uh, this is a tangent i'm moving on the point of all of this is just that warner brothers had a pr disaster on their hands with the pc port and that has affected a lot of people's opinions of the game even people that have never played the game i didn't play the game up until i started preparing for this critique specifically for that reason where i thought that the game was so broken it wasn't worth Playing. I had heard all of this horrible stuff about it, and so I just didn't bother, and my opinion was tainted as a result of that PR disaster, which they absolutely deserved after launching a product that they didn't quality check even once. They didn't try it even once before launch. But this is part of the reason that we're going to evaluate the game in its purest, patchiest form, giving it a fair shot as a game, not as the launch product, because if you wanted to play the game today, you would be playing it in its patched form. So it doesn't do us a lot of good to go back and look at it from the perspective of the launch release. But it's important to give you that context so that you understand a lot more about what's going on. Point being, we're not going to hop on the hate bandwagon. We're going to give the game the opportunity it deserves, the chance it deserves, because that's what America is all about. That's what this world needs. That's what gaming needs. This ad was paid for by sellout YouTubers like Luke. But, uh, I, I just blacked out for like 20 seconds, what happened? More coffee. All you need to know is that I played through Arkham Knight on my Xbox One X. A lot of it I played through on stream and then went back and recorded footage of. So I played through this game probably about one and three quarters times because I would play through three hours on stream and then I'd go back, play through that section again, but record it all. And then I'd play another three hours by myself and then we just bounced back and forth like that. So I have a very good idea of what this game has to offer, but I did not play it on PC, specifically because I didn't feel like that was the best representation of the game given all of those port issues, even today. But that's kind of everything you need to know setting up this whole review and critique. I know this took a little while, but I wanted to give you as much context as you possibly could handle. Moving into the rest of this video. As I said at the top, timestamps are below, feel free to jump around to the sections that seem most interesting to you, or just watch it in one fell swoop, which is what cool people do. I shouldn't have to say this for a video that's going to be a critique, but I'll say it anyways. This video is going to spoil everything, so if you haven't played the game and plan on playing it, or even are just interested in watching a playthrough, go do that first because I will be spoiling basically everything. In terms of difficulty, some people are interested in knowing how I approach that. I tend to play games on the difficulty that I feel best represents the game and that most players are going to feel a closest relation to. So if most players are playing a game on normal, I'll critique it and review it on normal while switching to hard occasionally to push it to its limits. The Arkham games, and any game with a free flow combat system, I always find remarkably easy and button mashy so to shake it up, I usually play through those games on the hardest possible difficulty to push myself to my limits and make sure that I am using all of the tools at my disposal with regards to the gameplay. And This game is no different. I play through Arkham Knight on the hardest possible difficulty for a first run through, no new game plus or anything to try to push myself as much as I could. But we have a lot to discuss and we're gonna tackle all of it in the next few minutes. We're gonna talk about the story, gameplay, combat, the Batmobile, everything, but we are gonna skip past some of the smaller stuff that I don't feel is as important. We're not gonna talk a lot about the graphics or the sound design or anything like that. I don't think that that's super important after the game launches four years on nor are we going to talk about the DLC. There's a lot of different little pieces of DLC. It's all pretty minor. There's like a big head expansion, which makes all the characters' heads big. The Red Hood DLC, for instance, is fun and allows you to play as Red Hood. It feels basically the same, but it's like 10 minutes long. So it's just not really worth covering, but it's as with all of this DLC, if you're honestly interested in the game, if you get through it all the way and you're like, I want more, play the DLC. If you don't want more, Don't bother, it's not gonna change your mind. There's nothing in here like Blood and Wine or Hearts of Stone that's like a new game, it's just a bunch of little stuff. But with all that said, let's get started. Now to begin, let's talk about the story and I wanna frame this as well as I can and I don't wanna go through the entire game but I do wanna give you a good perspective on how well this game sets everything up and how differently it approaches storytelling compared to even the previous games in the franchise. It really tries some new stuff, some experimental stuff And I absolutely love it. So to begin, we're gonna go through the first chapter or so of the story together, breaking it apart and discussing what we see. The game opens with actually the same clip that I showed you at the beginning of the video. This is the prologue and we're treated to this fun little scene of the Joker from Batman Arkham City being cremated after he dies at the end of that game. It's actually a weirdly beautiful moment as you see him loaded up into the Oven, I guess is what you call it. I know that's not very like poetic. I don't know what else you would call it. What is the name of like a cremation chamber? Is that what we call it? Apparently it's also known as a retort or just it is the crematory. so I I don't, I don't anyway, he's loaded up into it. And then the player is actually given the ability to turn the knobs and start the gas and, and flames coming down to burn him into ash. It's a, kind of a weirdly calming, and beautiful moment, even though it starts with the destruction of one of the most beloved characters in all of comic book history. The game actually frames it in a weirdly pleasant way. It's kind of weird. After this, we find ourselves in control, not of Batman, but actually of a GCPD officer in the first person's perspective, walking into a coffee shop. And for me and a lot of other players, I'm sure, even in 2019, we looked at this and we thought, for sure, this was going to be a pre-rendered cutscene. It's so beautiful. The fidelity and everything is just so ridiculously high. It must be pre-rendered. But no, it's it's actually running in real time. And you realize this once you sit down at the counter and start talking with the waitress that's across the counter, and you realize that this is all running real time. Because you can actually control the camera and move around and look at stuff. And oh, oh, oh look at that. Look who that is. That poster on the fridge, this is only going to be significant if you've played the game before, because this is actually the same Henry that Batman has locked up that you see later in the game, and eventually goes insane when he's uh, revealed to have been infected with the Joker's blood back in Arkham City, when Joker said that he sent his blood all around Gotham to infect people. I mean, this doesn't make a lot of sense, that fact that just getting injected with his blood turns them into him. Maybe I missed some broader explanation. Maybe the Titan virus that's within him causes some sort of brain alteration to the point where they become like the same person. I don't know. It's not clearly explained and it's a little weird that Joker's blood just going into somebody could do this. But, you know, it's fun and it's a cool excuse to get more of the Joker copy and pasted onto different characters and molds. But it's still kind of weird. Furthermore, it also shows that they likely had a lot of this stuff planned out back in Arkham City. The fact that they planted that seed, not just with Scarecrow in the boat that you can find out on the harbor in Arkham City, but also you can see the seeds with regards to Joker's actions, sending his blood all around the city setting up the events of this game it's not clear if they just threw those out and then we're like okay we'll figure out how we connect those to the next game when we get there or if they actually set that up because they knew exactly what they were going to do it's not really clear which it is but either way it's cool that they were able to connect the two now eventually one of the people who's at the diner you're sitting in will alert you that some dude is off in the corner and he's smoking which is not allowed within that diner and the police officer being a good guy, is like just let me handle it i got it you walk over to the guy pat him on the shoulder and then he turns around and has a spooky ghosty face and it's it's very spooky and at this point everything goes to absolute hell it's kind of ridiculous how quickly everything blows up eventually everybody's fighting with themselves and each other the guy pulls out his gun and starts shooting people and it just seems to be going to absolute hell. Turns out what actually happened is the fear toxin was actually uh, pumped into this diner and everybody was hallucinating, seeing these horrible demons that drove them absolutely crazy. And once again, it just serves to set up the fact that Scarecrow is going to be the main antagonist of this game, even though the game is titled Arkham Knight, the Arkham Knight isn't actually the main antagonist. And it, in my opinion, sets up The first kind of conflicting idea with regards to the game's writing, where the player isn't sure if they should be more against the Arkham Knight or more against Scarecrow. For a while, they're working together, but they don't set it up clearly. And the fact that they set it up as Arkham Knight being the subtitle of the game, at least for me was a clear indication that there was going to be some big plot twist with regards to the Arkham Knight. He was probably going to flip-flop and start helping you at some point, and Scarecrow would remain the main antagonist, even though they didn't name the game after him. And I mean, also, let's be real, Batman Arkham Scarecrow doesn't roll off the tongue as well as Batman Arkham Knight, so I get it. Now, after all of this and a long cutscene explaining what the hell just happened, we actually get to start controlling Batman, gliding through the city, and we have to go meet up with Gordon in order to discuss what's going on and what's happening. It's just a fun little training sequence and tutorial sequence in case this was anybody's first exposure to the games and it also shows off the incredible and stupidly high graphical fidelity we're dealing with. Now, when you're talking to Gordon, he says that he's been tracking an armored carrier that's driving through Bleak Island, and he believes that this is going to be the key to finding Scarecrow, who's responsible for what they consider to be an act of terrorism in the diner. And by the end of this discussion, you find out that a patrol car has gone missing and there's a police officer that's missing, so then you get diverted and you have to go find that missing police officer and help him. Speaking of, this is also the way that they were able to justify there not being a ton of civilians in the game. The whole fear toxin thing, it's basically their excuse for evacuating that area of the city because Scarecrow said he was going to continue to drop these fear toxins and he's gonna continue to gas the area causing all sorts of mayhem and and damage, and so pretty much everyone bailed, and then they issued an actual evacuation notice, but by that point, most people were gone already, so again, it's just an easy, clean excuse as to why there's no civilians the Batman has to really worry about. So after this you travel down into chinatown to look for the missing cop you find him being beat up by a bunch of thugs that are surrounding him and this serves as the quick little tutorial with regards to the free float combat system it works pretty well well enough i guess you could say once you've defeated all of the guys you go over rescue the cop you lift him up to a perch and say that you're going to send somebody to get him even though it's not clear that batman ever does this or anybody comes to get him but you know you gotta clear out these side characters don't let them get in the way plus it sets up one of the coolest moments i think that the game has to offer now unfortunately they spoiled this with all of the ads that ran before the game launched i think it would have been really cool if they had kept the batmobile secret and just pitch this as another continuation of the Arkham series without anything special. Because in this moment, they say Batman stands up and turns around and the big military vehicle breaks into the the square where you were just fighting those guys. And it gives you the prompt to even the odds. And at this point, you're like, what does that mean? What is evening the odds? And you just press the button, Batman jumps down and jumps into the Batmobile as it spins around and you realize, Okay, this is evening the other. It was it was a really cool moment. It was really, really cool. I was very impressed by it. I just wish it hadn't been spoiled for me by all of the the ads and trailers that they launched. You drive around, you chase him, and eventually you're able to destroy the car and you are able to start interrogating the guy that was driving it. At this point, he tells you of a safe house that Scarecrow is using that's in Chinatown. And after you knock the guy out, you get back in the Batmobile, you go over to the Chinatown district of Bleak Island, and you start to investigate this safe house. As you would expect, there's a ton of thugs here. You beat them up, and then you're treated to a quick little message by Scarecrow. And then you break out Poison Ivy. She tells you some stuff, but there's actually a really cool moment in this sequence that isn't actually talked about much, at least in like the articles and reviews that I found. It's a really cool call forward, I guess, to what's going to happen later in the game. Scarecrow actually says that Batman should remember this area, that he should familiarize himself with it, because this is going to be the place of some of the horrors that will continue over the course of the, the following night. And it's true. This is actually the same safe house in the exact same area, the exact same chamber that barbara is seemingly killed in later in the game and it's a super cool narrative call forward that i i didn't catch while i was playing the game because obviously i didn't remember that they were going to i was going back to the exact same area but going back through my footage i realized that's the exact same place that's really cool and he actually tells batman something bad's gonna happen here I I just really like it. This is like, these are the things I love is when games are able to interweave their narratives, tying call forwards, callbacks, everything together. it, It works very, very well. I love this type of thing so much. I even did a video dedicated to it, which I'll have linked below. I talk about several movies I love that do it and several games that do these sort of narrative call forwards and callbacks all tied together. It's super cool to me. And so after this, you go down the elevator and you hop out and you realize that a bunch of tanks have shown up and this is the first moment where I started to see what people were complaining about with regards to the game's tank usage. You see, these tanks are property of the Arkham Knight, who is this sort of mysterious, shady figure who comes in and is just talking about Batman, saying that he knows Batman better than he knows himself, that's kind of the whole point of the Arkham Knight. That he knows all of Batman's weaknesses and how to take advantage of them. And so he decides to assault Batman and Poison Ivy with a fleet of tanks which would normally take out any superhero perfectly reasonable to do and you realize at this point that there aren't any people in these these tanks these drones as they're called for reasons now i don't need to explain the fact that batman doesn't kill people that's like batman 101 that's like not even 101 that's batman 01 everybody knows that and beyond that, most people would say that it doesn't feel right for Batman to be using guns, period. Sure, there might be cases in the comic, comics where, like, yeah, I guess some militarization and items that are, are very high-powered he uses in certain cases, but it certainly doesn't feel very Batman-esque to use a tank himself but if we're going to do that for the sake of the game so be it whatever i can live with that but the problem is that the arkham knight is supposed to know batman better than he knows himself and he chose to have unmanned drones if he were actually concerned with taking out batman once and for all with killing him as an act of revenge why wouldn't he just put one random person in each of the tanks whether it's one of his soldiers or even just a civilian or like an orphan that he kidnapped from an orphanage it would be so easy it doesn't make any sense at all and the only time i ever heard any character in the entire game try to explain this away was a moment where the arkham knight actually says to batman over the radio signals or whatever that he has all of these unmanned drones specifically because he wanted to push batman to his limits which doesn't make sense because if he were trying to push him to his limits he would have gone and put people inside so if batman wanted to survive he would have had to kill somebody but no he didn't do that because it has to have tanks in it. Now, I don't wanna go too much into detail with this because I'm gonna discuss it a lot more in the tank section later on, but this is the first moment where I started really questioning why the Batmobile was here and why all of these drone fights were in here because they don't make sense narratively speaking. You can tell they decided to put this in for the sake of the gameplay They didn't really give a crap if it didn't make sense with regards to the narrative, which is a problem, whether we like to admit it or not. But as you go about, you fight a bunch more tank battles. They keep throwing more and more drones at you. You keep blowing them up and already... This whole mechanic is starting to get old. You keep waiting for them to take it up a notch, and it just never happens. Eventually, you get Ivy back to the GCPD building. You send her into lockup, and then you get to walk around this police station, which actually is a really cool hub. And I was hoping that this would be used a lot more than it was. It's used a few times in the story where you're supposed to go back here, collect a weapon, and then go about your business. But there's actually a really cool area, sort of a museum where they have all of these artifacts from the previous games locked up in glass cases where you can actually look at them and analyze them. And it's so, so cool. I actually spent a solid like 15 minutes going to each and every item, pressing A and listening to the voice recording that explains what that item was and some of the lore behind it. It was super, super cool to me and I loved it. And there's actually kind of a weird little secret in this area, if you want to jump right into some of the Riddler's tougher challenges, you can actually break the glass of these cases and then take your weapons and and tools back. And nobody in the police station will say anything because it's Batman's to begin with, so do what you will. It's too bad you had to break the glass to do it. You could have just asked somebody with a key. But whatever, you broke the glass, you take the gun, and you can actually go and uh, finish up a lot of the different missions and uh, Riddler puzzles that you wouldn't get access to otherwise if you were doing it properly and waiting to get that item until you're at, basically mandated to later in the game uh, with the main story. Now, at this point, I was straight up falling in love with the game, except for the tank section, which I think was true of most people who played it. Everything so far has been well rationed, it's reasonably paced, it's beautiful, and the story is actually pretty interesting. Scarecrow is awesome, and having just played the game and having gone through all of my footage once again to catalog it for this critique, it's clear that they knew exactly where they were going and what they were doing with the story, and they planted these seeds All the way throughout, like I said earlier, with the case of the area where Barbara is eventually seemingly killed. I really was loving it at this point, but it was clear that some issues were starting to peak up and that they could start to get way worse as the game went on. And, like I said, this is most people's criticism of the game, and it's mine as well. It can't make up its mind as to whether it wants to be a Batman game through and through, or if it wants to be a Batmobile tank destroying mech game. It can't decide, and it keeps trying to play both as though they are perfectly working in tandem when they just aren't. Most fans wanted a straight Batman game in the same vein as we got with Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. But you know what? I'm sure that they spent millions and tons of time on the R&D for the Batmobile. They developed this thing through and through and it does work very well. It's very fluid and it is beautiful. It runs fantastically well. You can tell they put a lot of effort into it. But the thing is they got through all of that development and then they started putting it into the game and they realized probably if they had any sort of IQ above room temperature that it just wasn't fun. (laughs) It just wasn't enjoyable and it didn't fit Batman. But at that point, they had spent so much time and so much money developing it that they knew they had to use it in some capacity. And so they decided to just sprinkle it all over the game and hope that players found it interesting and enjoyed it. It's, it's too bad because it was a gamble that they made and it just didn't pay off. It shows you just how important the concepting phase of game development really is because these decisions are made years in advance. The decision to put the Batmobile all throughout the game was made years and years and years before the even outline of the city was drawn up. They knew that they were going to have to do that, and they spent a lot of money developing that bat tank for play. And the fact that they weren't able to look forward in their minds and see just how disgruntled and disjointed it was going to be when put in with the rest of the game shows that they had a a real blind spot in their director's vision. It's pretty significant. This stuff doesn't tend to happen a lot where a sequel to a previously very well-established franchise misses the mark so significantly. I'm not sure if there were things going on with regards to studio management turnover or maybe they just had this idea for the Bat Tank and they honestly thought players would love it. I don't know what it is. Either way, it just didn't work. But with all that said, let's jump to the end of the game and discuss how the game finishes everything. At the very end of the game, Scarecrow seems to have won and he has Batman all locked up and starts injecting him with Fear Toxin, and at this point the player is then sent to a really weird sequence that I don't think anybody saw coming. Now, we'll talk about this more later, but throughout the whole game, the Joker is appearing in every single sequence that you go through, talking to you, even as you fly through the city, he'll pop up on rooftops with you, covertly hidden. It's fantastically well done, and he has all sorts of hilarious one-liners, again, that we'll go through later. But it's initially fun and in games, and you're you're kinda glad to have the Joker back, especially after expecting him to be gone for good after his death in Batman Arkham City, and especially after the intro of the game where you show the Joker being cremated. But at this point, as the fear toxin is being pumped into Batman more and more, you see that his real fears lie with the Joker, which I think a lot of Batman fans that are more casual fans might not put together. They kind of think of him just as another bad guy in Batman's uh, lineup of enemies that he works through in various movies, comic books, TV shows, whatever it may be. But in reality, the Joker is different for Batman. The Joker is chaotic. It's one reason that people loved Arkham Origins so much because in that game we see Batman realize that the Joker is different. And in this moment when we get to play as the joker driving around his version of the batmobile it seems like the only self-aware moment in the game where the game is like yeah this is a tank that kills people (laughs) and you get the opportunity to do that you go around you shoot everybody you use the cannon you blow everything up And I thought it was going to call out the fact that Batman had been using a tank all along, but he couldn't bring himself to actually kill people. But instead, they just kind of skirt past that. It's like they knew that it was the bat tank and that this was a killing machine, but they had just been coming up with excuses as to why it worked with Batman throughout the whole game. And then they show off what it actually is for and what Batman actually thinks of it at the very end in this sequence but they never really mention it directly and it seems more like it was just supposed to be a moment where we see the joker killing a lot of people i don't know point is you go around you shoot everything you blow everything up and then you get a super move where it launches a ton of different rockets and you blow basically everything up killing everybody joker hops out of the batmobile and pulls out a shotgun at which point you start going through the hallways and exploring sort of the memories and thoughts of the joker you see Cobblepot and you see a lot of other people groveling for their lives. And instead of playing the way Batman does, weirdly, it works very well, where the player immediately puts themselves in the shoes of the Joker and just shoots everybody. Literally, everyone I've asked, every playthrough I've watched, every streamer I've checked in on, all of them immediately pull the trigger and kill everybody in sight. They wholeheartedly embrace the Joker. I'll be honest, it also made me think just how cool a rock steady suicide squad game could be where you're actually playing as the evil character and the more evil you are the better you do in the game that's like the whole point i thought that could be so so damn cool i don't know if we'll ever see it but this sequence made me really want it i don't know let me know what you think below because i want to see it and eventually after you go through all of these different hallways and corridors you reach an area where the joker looks out on the city as it's burning and is super excited because he's seeing what the world would be like without batman or in this case i guess without himself and then we cut back to batman tied up but we go and see the joker tied up showing that they're two sides of the same coin that they are inextricably connected and there's no escape from each other at least seemingly in this moment scarecrow then injects him with even more fear toxin because he doesn't seem to be afraid he seems to be embracing the fear again showing why the joker and batman work so well together because again they're two sides of the same coin you continue going through all of these different corridors seeing things such as a statue of the Joker falling over indicating to the Joker that he's being forgotten and he starts to panic and freak out at this prospect insisting that he couldn't possibly be forgotten and then he shows up at his wake where Harley is crying and you see that nobody attended Nobody gave a crap. Everyone was glad that the Joker was gone and it starts to mess with him. You eventually reach an open courtyard and there's a bunch of statues of Batman that appear in front of you as you turn all around every which way. You keep shooting them down, keep breaking them down. They keep reappearing and more and more and more of them. And eventually you break out into a hallway where you see an exit and the Joker is kind of laughing it off saying oh you got me i I was really starting to get scared for a minute but you know we're all good we're chill and then the following happens i'll just let it play because i I love it so much
0: you know you almost had me scared back there me (laughs) what have i got to be afraid of Afraid of being ashes, you're afraid of being forgotten, and you will be forgotten, Joker, because of me. I am Vengeance, I am the Knight, I am Batman. Goodbye, Joker. No! Bruce! Don't leave me! Please! I need- Understand, Gotham. You have no savior. No more hope. No more Batman. He's strong, he's going to be okay. Look after him, Jim, look after them all. You've been a good friend, the best I could ask for. You were there at the beginning, and now you get to see how it ends.
1: And after this the main story is over at least for most people however if you want the true ending or endings you have to complete all of the side quests so the gotham's most wanted side quest that we'll talk about in a little bit if you've completed seven of the quests then you get a partial final ending but if you complete all of the quests you get the true final ending where you see the nightfall protocol being called into effect where Bruce Wayne walks into his mansion and then the whole thing blows up and it seems as though he just committed suicide, which is kind of weird. But then at the very end, we're treated to another cutscene, where it seems as though Batman has returned, but is now using the scarecrow fear toxin on his enemies in order to instill fear because the whole point of Batman was that he was going to instill fear in criminals so that they would no longer be criminals or do evil things, at least in Gotham, because fear is the only way to truly control people, or at least truly control criminals. It's a cool ending, and it's not really clear how this ties into the rest of the series or what this explains, but it does fulfill the promise that this is the story of how the Batman dies, because everyone believes that Batman had died once the mansion exploded. After all, they found out on the TV broadcast that it was Bruce Wayne who was Batman, and then he walks into his mansion and the mansion blows up. So, of course, Batman died. I, I don't know. It's it's a, it's an interesting finish. I'm not sure how I feel about the fact that you have to 100% the game to actually see this final ending. I think the overwhelming majority of people are just going to pull it up on YouTube after they finish. But still, it's, it's a cool way to finish everything. And to wrap up this ending discussion, I can't describe how much this ending and the approach to the Joker sequence surpassed all of my expectations for the ending, not just to the game, but also to the franchise in the series at least as far as we know it's just so clean and does such a beautiful and masterful job of putting the joker to bed once and for all at least with the player and also with batman and in his mind they do such a good job with this i found myself even feeling sad as though i was going to miss the joker as he was being sent off to be permanently forgotten and locked up. It's a really weird feeling. Once again, like this is a horribly evil man, but I think a lot of people forget that and find themselves more endeared by his personality and his liveliness and his seeming just love of existence itself and joy and his celebration of it. Even if he does that in a chaotic way that's at the cost of many people's uh, health and happiness and lives, We still find ourselves kind of intrigued by it because he's so carefree. He's so careless and he seems to just love life in the purest possible form. But it it sends him off in a way that is honest, is pure to what the characters would be thinking and what they would be saying. And the final line that the Joker tells Batman, I need you works just so well and hit me right in the feels. I absolutely loved it. And I got to hand it to the writers over at Rocksteady. I I was unsure of where they were going with the story throughout most of Arkham Knight, as we'll discuss in just a minute, but the way they wrapped this up was just so fantastically well done. I got to applaud them for it. Now with regards to the story on a broad level and in terms of broad perspectives, It's pretty well done. However, there are some really predictable moments as you play through it. For instance, the one that stands out to me is Barbara's death. When this happened on stream, when I saw her shoot herself in the head, immediately I called out on stream, I bet that's fake. That's probably fake because we were just exposed to the fear toxin. I mean, the question of course is, did that actually happen since he just ingested a ton of fear toxin? that the safe house was not a cruel game i kind of imagine it, it did i hope it did tonight there needs to be consequences so eventually when the plot twist is revealed that she didn't actually kill herself it didn't hit me with any significant feeling of surprise honestly if batman is After all, the world's greatest detective, you would think that he would be a little skeptical of it or at least go back and check to make sure it was her body or send somebody who wasn't infected with the fear toxin to check. Also, you would think that with all of his like detective scanners and all of that, he could scan her and see her identity if she actually was dead and that that wouldn't have been affected by the fear toxin either, there's just some some weirdness with it, some plot holes with regards to it. But as we've discussed already, there are some weird plot holes throughout the entire game, like with the tank issue with the Arkham Knight, so I guess we can look past it. But on the other hand, some of these moments and twists are completely unforeseen. I did not expect to be playing as the Joker driving a Joker uh, painted and themed Batmobile running around with a shotgun, killing all of the people that I had seen in the previous games. I did not expect that to happen, call me crazy. I loved that surprise reveal and I am damn glad they didn't spoil it in the trailers because Lord knows they love to do that. And overall, there were a lot of little nods and little moments of love that they put into the story that they didn't need to. For instance, after you take out all the goons in the Joker bat tank, you go into a smaller room and there's a record player playing the song Only You by the Platters. You've been through enough, my dear. Tell everyone about it. I love this song. Now, to most people, this would just seem like a fun old timey song that they're playing, but this is actually the same exact song that the Joker sings to Harley at the end of Arkham City while the credits roll.
2: Only you
0: can make the darkness bright only you and you
1: It's such a cool little callback, and it's something I wouldn't have noticed if I weren't a massive fan of the Platters, like for real, I have a bunch of their records. And maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I also took it as Uh, a statement on this being the moment where joker dies a second time because that song played after joker died physically and now he's about to die metaphysically i don't know i just thought it was cool maybe there's more to it maybe a writer explained it and i just couldn't find the article on it i don't know if you have any thoughts or found anything let me know in the comment section below i'm sure me and everybody else watching would be really interested to know so let me know but the one thing i will say is that the arkham knight falls damn flat About halfway through the game, they start to show these flashbacks with the previous Robin that Batman had been working with and how he was captured by the Joker. And the Joker eventually did a bunch of evil stuff to him, brainwashed him, did all sorts of horrible things. And at this point, he decides to turn on Batman and he's he's freaking out and trying to destroy him. What are you doing? Sorry, she's pawing at the glass. You see, I had to put her food in the bowl because she won't eat it if I put it in the sand, like her worms and stuff. And, you know, she's such a spoiled little brat. She's like, give me more worms now. I'm hungry. She's incredulous. Point of the Arkham Knight discussion, though, is just that I found him to fall very flat I, from the moment that I realized that this huge plot hole existed with regards to the tanks and the fact that he didn't have them manned so he could challenge Batman more. I couldn't take him very seriously because the whole time I was like, well, is this going to be implemented into the plot plot? Like maybe he doesn't actually want to hurt Batman. So he's doing this and he left them unmanned. I don't know, it doesn't make any sense at all. It really doesn't. And after that, he lost a lot of credibility with me and I think with a lot of other players, I didn't really give a crap. So I kind of checked out and I just waited for the scarecrow moments, which is too bad because I think he could have been really, really cool, but he just, he falls flat. And can we also just agree that the fact that the Arkham Knight comes in as the deus ex machina at the end of the game to shoot the gun out of scarecrow's hand, Is damn stupid. If he had that gun, why didn't he just shoot Scarecrow? Like, why and why was he waiting so long? Did he have to set that whole thing? It just, again, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. It works well for the cutscene and for everything to seem like it's happening all at once, but I just find it kind of stupid. And there's also other plot holes that don't really make a lot of sense, like the fact that. Gordon at the moment where it's revealed that Barbara didn't actually die and that he had just betrayed Batman seemingly he pulls the gun on Batman and everybody just looks past the fact that Batman has bulletproof armor on and the fact that Gordon shoots him in the chest where it's bulletproof Like, nobody's going to question that. Why didn't they have Batman take off his mask and then shoot him in the forehead? Why didn't they do that? Well, because that would have made sense. That would have made a lot of sense. But no, they don't do that because doesn't work now you know what let's shift and start talking about the batmobile i think we've delayed it enough we've talked about the narrative we have talked about all that let's actually address the elephant in the room now in the developers words themselves in all the interviews that i watched in preparation for this critique what they kept saying pre-launch was that the batmobile was designed to take the arkham games to the next level it's something they always wanted to do but weren't able to do given the hardware limitations of the previous games one thing that they said in these interviews was that quote arkham asylum was all about the new combat system arkham city was all about the new open world that they were able to build and arkham knight was all about the batmobile this is how they honestly felt going into the launch of the game they thought that the batmobile was really going to be revolutionary and that people were going to love it so much that it was going to be one of the main selling points of the game. Instead, it backfired so heavily that people felt it was one of the low points of the game. It's one of the reasons that a lot of people hate the game is specifically because... It feels like more of a a battle tank simulator than it does an actual Batman game. Think I'm making this up? Check out this clip from a GameSpot interview where he actually says this very thing.
2: We really wanted to take big risks at every uh, new iteration. So in Arkham City, it was this massive new open world structure, but for Batman Arkham Knight, it's really all about the Batmobile, delivering the the experience and the promise of driving this legendary car in this legendary city. Adding the Batmobile was something that we were very um, conscious of that it didn't just feel like it was a bolted on driving section. We didn't want to just throw away everything that we had developed for, for previous games because Batman is is about using whatever is the most effective tool at the time so the idea of man and machine really lay at the heart of that using the Batmobile when it's appropriate but also using the abilities of the Batmobile to augment Batman himself so you would have seen in the demo being able to eject out of the Batmobile to gain insane altitude and then dive down through the streets of Gotham so the integration of Batman and the Batmobile really lay at the core of the design of Arkham Knight.
1: And this is my problem with the batmobile it's not that it isn't well designed it isn't that it's not well executed as an idea it's that the batmobile was designed not around batman but rather they shifted batman to fit with the batmobile it it's the chicken and the egg situation and unfortunately in this case it seems as though the chicken came before the egg which doesn't even make sense. Instead of justifying the Batmobile in the lore and having some sort of situation where instead of a bunch of drones everywhere, they just use the Batmobile for some quick navigation and if you wanna use it for some Riddler challenges and AR challenges, you can do that. Instead of doing that, which would've made sense and I think most players would've been fine with, they made it a staple of the entire game and then they realized, well, we can't have people in the enemy drones, otherwise Batman's killing them. So they just justified it by saying, well, no, we just won't have people in them. And we'll say that they were, they were unmanned to challenge him because that makes so much sense. And players could tell this. And again, I'm not totally sure if it's that they honestly thought that this was going to be a super beloved feature of the game, or if they just decided, listen, we've poured so much time and money into the development of this tank that we need to give it, a chance. We need to have it as a staple of the game. Maybe it was an executive over at Warner Brothers that looked at it and said, you know what, we need to try it. We need to give it a shot. We need to put it in the game. like So 15, 20% of the game is the Batmobile and Batmobile sections. I don't know what, what happened. Either way, it doesn't work. And honestly, I can't say much about it beyond what's already been said, that it just isn't fun. After the first few fights, it starts to get boring and everybody keeps waiting for it to be used in a new and exciting way. And eventually it's tied into some puzzles and you can do the remote control so that you can use it to take out enemies, things like that. But beyond the same sort of combat sections, it doesn't really do anything. And I will say some of the later combat sections are straight up horrible. I was stuck on one combat section basically the last bat tank section like i said i played on the hardest difficulty for over an hour i was stuck on it for over an hour on stream because you were only basically able to take one hit and then you were critically injured and any sort of shrapnel anything that hit you you were going to blow up so you had to play it literally perfectly and it it just wasn't fun it it just wasn't fun i don't know what else to say it just goes to show you anything in excess Is a bad thing. The Batmobile could have been really cool if it were just used for the Riddler races and stuff, which I personally really enjoyed, and with some of the occasional puzzles with the remote control. Other than that, the Bat Tank fights aren't interesting. They aren't fun. They don't feel like they should be in a Batman game, they just feel out of place. And at the end of the day, I think the easiest thing I can say is that if the bat tank sections were cut from the game, I don't think it would be any worse, and if anything, it might be a little bit better. And If you can say that about any feature in your game that's a AAA major release, something's wrong. Something is very wrong. Now, as for the combat, I will hand it to Rocksteady in that the free flow combat system has sort of run its course. It was super novel and cool and interesting when it launched with Arkham Asylum back in 2009, but after that, it slowly started to stagnate and stale. We've seen that in, for instance, Shadow of War, where the combat system, even though it's free flow, feels fairly stagnated. And in Arkham Origins, it was polished up a little bit more, but in Arkham Knight, they really cinched everything up. And if I had to use one word to describe it, it is cinched or maybe streamlined would be another way of putting it. Everything is just polished. There's very little latency between animations playing. Everything's very fast paced. All of the tools worked very well together. It, It just feels very clean. They added new finisher moves, as you would expect, each of the characters that are different and can be played have different finisher moves that are fun and interesting and unique they did about as much as you could possibly do to keep the fighting sequence and system interesting and i think that was part of the reason they brought in the batmobile was specifically because they were worried that it was just going to feel like more of the same if they came in with just more of the free flow combat system they wanted to bring in something more something new something fresh and that's admirable You just got to make sure that it's fun. They added in new enemy types, such as the medic class, which actually can revive previously downed opponents. So if you're one of those players that tries to just jump around the rafters and slowly take people out over the course of like 30 minutes, that's not going to work anymore because the medics will actually come and revive them. So you're constantly fighting an uphill battle. So it encourages you to play a little more riskily, to be more aggressive. And I think that's something that ends up being more fun for a lot of players. So I think that's good. And I will also say the sidekick fights where you go in for instance with Catwoman and you're able to fight side by side and with a single press of a button you're able to switch between the two characters and finish with each other and it it works amazingly well it's incredibly well polished I I just I freaking love how they did this how they implemented it in fact I loved it so much I wish that they had used it more in the game and it I think goes to show that a free-flow combat system in a game with like two or three characters playing with you as sidekicks for instance like a Suicide Squad game could really work well. The predator sections in other words the stealth sections are really well polished uh, they all are done very very well the AI feels relatively smart as smart as you could expect it to be everything works very well no glitches like we saw in Arkham Origins again if you want to see my gripes with that game Linked below. They also threw the player some new tools such as the voice synthesizer where you can for instance have Harley calling to her guards to go and check out an area in which case you are setting them up straight for a trap which is kind of cool and allows you to use a lot more of your weapons and abilities that you wouldn't normally be using and I I thought that was kind of cool. And they also added new fear takedowns which plays into the whole broader meta theme of the game which is that fear controls everybody and these are basically just takedowns where you're able to take out like three-ish people all at once and it helps pair up against a lot of the other design choices that they made with regards to the combat which is a big increase in terms of quantity of enemies on screen at a given time so instead of just trying to increase the health pools of each enemy they tried to add in a lot more people and to balance that out they give you fear takedowns where you can take out like three at a time. Some people have gripes with these fear takedowns saying that they're inelegant and that they aren't fun or that they make the game too easy and if that's the case i would say play it on the hardest difficulty because the whole point of the fear takedowns is that you're taking down three of the like 30 opponents that are on screen and that you're fighting in an arena and even then the fear takedown has to be set up very precisely in order for it to work because it can be interrupted and even if you do a fear takedown if there's one guy left behind afterwards you have to be careful because you can only really withstand, uh, withstand one single shot from a sniper, for instance, otherwise you're dead. Again, on the higher difficulties. I don't want to go too much into the idea that there's a right way and a wrong way to play certain games. But I think there are ways that tend to lend themselves to using more of the game's mechanics and playing it truer to what the developers expected you to do with regards to the gameplay difficulty. And if they're gonna have difficulty sliders, which are something I've already come out and condemned, I don't like difficulty sliders in games, I think you should be able to choose and stick with it throughout the whole game because then the onus is on the developer to balance the game properly throughout the entire experience. But you know, that's a topic for another video, a video I already made. One thing that changed was the design of side quests and the main story quest, which has always been kind of weird in the Arkham games because they've always been sort of smaller side activities that you just are kind of supposed to figure out yourself. But what they did this time around was that they added it into a wheel that you pull up and are able to select different side quests from. And initially it seems like it should be okay, but it's just kind of weird. And I guess it was meant to try to prevent you from pulling up a big menu and queuing up which one you want, but to me it, it just never felt quite right. I don't know why, I don't know how, I don't know how to explain it. It just didn't feel right. But I I fully admit that this is completely personal and subjective, like, this this is not an objective criticism. I just don't like that the quest is set up in a wheel format, I find it kind of stupid, I don't like it. You can love it, I personally don't. I prefer the list where I can read in-depth descriptions of what I'm doing, I just prefer that. And you can't talk about any sort of Arkham game without addressing the Riddler challenges. And there's a lot in this game there are 243 individual challenges from the riddler that he offers you and again if you want 100 complete the game and get access to the final true ending yourself you have to complete all 243 of them and they put some effort into these some of these are actually pretty tricky and time consuming i love them my personal favorites are the bat car races i i personally really like them I just find them fun. The Batmobile controls very, very well. I think it's polished. I I find the idea of swapping between the platforms kind of intriguing and requires some decent timings. But again, completely subjective. I personally just enjoy them. There's other quests, such as the serial killer quest where you go and you like inspect bodies and you try to hunt down the serial killer who has a love for opera music and things like that, which again, I think were done very, very well. They gave each of these side quests the time of day. I just think that they have a really weird way of pacing them, where if you want to go and, for instance, track down the serial killer, instead of following a series of clues to its conclusion, you're expected to do one portion of the investigation, and then two or three hours of gameplay later, they'll unlock the next section of it, so then you go and investigate that, then two or three hours later, you go and uh, investigate the next section, and it can work fairly well I again personally I just don't like that method of employing quest markers where they're timed between and behind certain doors within the main story I understand sometimes that's necessary I prefer to just be like oh I'm really interested in hunting down this serial killer I'm going to go figure that out and then I go and I figure it out until it's done I don't like being told okay now wait a couple hours and then we'll reveal it but they don't even say that transparently often it's just well keep exploring the city and if I see something I'll let you know great great I love that I don't I hate it but lastly the very last thing I want to discuss is the Joker um because I feel like he's the guy that comes in and absolutely steals the show as Mark Hamill has a tendency of doing he has some moments and one-liners in this game that are just absolutely hilarious like talking about how he swept Barbara off her feet (laughs) like so savage He's a constant presence as you explore the city. He pops up on rooftops. You'll see billboards replace the initial image that was there earlier in the game with his likeness as the game goes on. It's really well done. It's very, very subtle in many cases, and it's very clearly put in front of you in other instances where he has a very dark joke to put forward. And they're all delivered fantastically well. They're hilarious. And I'll be honest, I think that's contributory to part of the reason why at the end of the game, I felt kind of sad that he was gone because I really enjoyed having him with me throughout the whole main campaign, constantly commenting on everything that was happening and to lose him then at the very end felt kind of empty. But again, I think that that was part of the design choice because Batman probably also feels a little empty to no longer have his, his uh, nemesis <laughs> there anymore. You know, I, I think it works very well. But in summation, I think Batman Arkham Knight is probably, on a technical level, the most impressive game in the entire franchise. I think the graphics are far and away some of the most impressive graphics we've ever seen in a game, even to this day. I think the gameplay is fairly polished. I think everything is done remarkably well, except for that glaring issue, which is the Batmobile and of course the PC port at launch. Now everybody knows that the PC port was terrible. Everybody knows that the Batmobile was awful and it didn't make sense. The question is just whether or not those things are so bad that they ruin the experience of the game completely and entirely and personally, I don't think they do. I love the game so much, honestly, I would go back through it right now on stream if I had the time. By the way, another reason to follow me on Twitch is that I just got the review code approved for Greedfall, so I'm going to be playing that game over there on Twitch if you want to check that out. Make sure to follow me, sub all that fun stuff, links below. And here I'm going to be a little bit of a hypocrite because I think it's important that I actually offer my final perspective and advice on how I guess, to play through Arkham Knight for the best possible experience. Because obviously there's this glaring issue with the Batmobile. And I've said before, I hate dynamic difficulty sliders because they can be abused to change the overall way that the game is built compared to how the developer intended the player to approach it. That's true, and I still stand by that, insofar as the assumption is granted that the way that the game was designed by the designer is the best way to play it is the best way the game can be which often is the case because they're the ones that designed it and poured years of effort into polishing that experience but once we land with a game that is in its pure form with the batmobile not as fun as if you play it without the batmobile then we can start to abuse it, abuse the difficulty slider so that we get the experience that's actually more engaging and more fun for the overwhelming majority of players. So what I would suggest is giving Batman Arkham Knight a shot. I really think it is worth a shot, especially because you can get it for very cheap nowadays. It goes on sale constantly down from $20. It, it drops to like 15 all the way down to 5 during some sales. And I would suggest playing through it on the hardest possible difficulty for the first couple hours, giving that a shot. And if you hate the Batmobile sections, every time those pop up, just drop the difficulty down to the easiest possible difficulty, knock that out, and then bring it right back up to the hardest. I know it sounds stupid, but it's the only way I could think of of skipping those Bat Tank sections at least relatively quickly and not bothering with them. Just skip right past them, jump forward, and continue about your day. And, you know, I I don't want to act as though it is far and away just a game-breaking, terrible mechanic and it's awful. It's well done insofar as it could have been well done. It's just not something that feels at home or as though it should be. In a batman arkham game it just feels out of place that's the best way i can describe it some people love it people who love mech games and love tank sort of games and militaristic you know tactics games where you have to dodge constantly those types of things Those people love the game. Those people love uh, the, the Bat Tank and everything that they did with it. I just personally don't, and a lot of other people don't, and a lot of viewers of my channel, I'm sure, also don't like it. But at the end of the day, I still stand by my decision that Batman Arkham Knight is not the worst game in the franchise, and if I had to rank the entire Arkham series, are you ready? I've critiqued all of the games at this point. I can have them all linked below this video. If I had to rank all of them from beginning to end this is what it would be. At the very bottom, I would put Batman Arkham Origins. I just don't like it. I think it's broken. I think it's not very polished. I think it's a copy and pasted mess from Arkham City. My time playing it, it was a glitch filled mess as well. I just personally don't enjoy it. That doesn't mean you're wrong for enjoying it. It just personally doesn't connect with me. Above that, I put Batman Arkham Asylum it's got a lot of nostalgia feel for me but it is an older game it's not as drawn out as a lot of the others and it's very linear above that we're left with batman arkham city and batman arkham knight both of which i think are fantastically well built and very well done for me personally maybe i'll change my mind after some more reflection after some more thought But for me, my favorite in the series is still Batman Arkham City. Now, I'll be very transparent in the fact that I have a huge nostalgic and emotional attachment to Arkham City. It's the first game I ever 100% completed. I love it to death. That's part of the reason that I think it takes the cake for me because it was part of my childhood. I absolutely love that game. But Arkham Knight, honestly, if I were to play through it again, it might rank a little bit higher, especially now what I that I know what I'm getting myself into with regards to the tank battles. I would probably try to skip past them and then play the rest of the game because the rest of the game really is fantastically well built. And, you know, all of this just goes to show that you can't just shove a feature down the player's throat. You can't just expect them to enjoy it because you put a lot of money into it. A big budget does not always a fantastic game make, and there's a lot more that goes into it. And developers have to be humble enough to accept and admit when certain features and certain design choices are just not working in the game. Batman Arkham Knight was almost killed by the fact that its developers were not humble enough to accept that something they had poured so much time and effort into was just not enjoyable. It almost ruined the entire game for everybody. So moving forward with whatever they're working on next, I hope that they're able to accept that they made some mistakes with Arkham Knight to say the least, learn from it, and move forward and release once again one of the best games of the generation, just like we were saying back when Batman: Arkham City launched. I think they're capable of it, and especially if they launch it as a launch title for the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Scarlet, whatever it ends up being called. I think we could be in for a real treat. But that's all from me. Thank you so much for watching. Me and Khaleesi both, oh shoot. Me and Khaleesi both, thank you. I don't know if you can see her. She's hanging out right there. We both thank you for watching, honestly and truly. We love you very, very much. If you enjoyed the video, hit the like button. It actually does help. I know YouTubers say that. It actually does, I did the math. And if you want to see more videos like this, leave a comment as to what game you'd like to see me critique next and subscribe. Make sure you ring the bell as well. Beyond that, if you want to see more videos like this made more frequently, make sure to support me over on Patreon for just over three cents a day. You can support me, get access to all of these critiques early and before everybody else, behind the scenes, peeks and sneaks and whatever you want to call it. I know that does not make sense. Or if you don't like Patreon, just hit the join button right next to the subscribe button. That works too. You get access to all the same stuff. Follow me on Twitch, all that stuff, Twitter, all that. I love you very much. I'll see you guys in the next video. I love you. Peace out. Hugs and kisses. Bye-bye. I've
0: got you on-